Good evening, family. Let's turn to Hebrews 11, and we'll read from verse 38 to 40. Just three verses, but we're going to study a little more than that. Hebrews 11, 38 to 40. And some of you are, are giving offering already. You're like, I don't know how to read the Bible and do offering at the same time. May the Lord help you. We're a church who's empowered, capable to do multitasking and worship God in so many ways. So let's turn to Hebrews 11 and read verse 38 to 40. If you could follow along with my eyes, it would be great. Um, 38 to 40. The world, has not, the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in caves and holes in the ground. These were all condemned, com- commanded for their faith. Excuse me, commanded for their faith. Yet none of them received what they had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Let's pray. Lord, we lift up this time of word to you. As Paul has asked the church to pray, I pray that prayer right now, Lord, that it will be the demonstration and the power of the Holy Spirit, not the wisdom of the words of men, Lord. And I pray just like um, John the Baptist, I just want to prepare the way for you to move and for your spirit to have your way. So it's not about this moment is the moment, but it's you, Christ. When you walk in, when your spirit moves, that is the moment, and that's what I want to prepare. That's what we want to prepare. So have your way. This is your church. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I was preparing the sermon, and I was talking to a couple of brothers here and there, and they're all encouraging me, and they asked a simple question. Hey, what's the sermon about? And I said, I don't know. It's about God and Christ and cross and grace and faith and faith, faith. It's about faith. I mean, I, I prepared, but I wasn't clear about God. I, there's, there are things that you're saying. What's, if I could distill this in one word, what would it be? And then I was worshiping God, and I was listening to Pastor Tellus and being encouraged and blessed by him, and the Lord said, it's about victory. And I was like, yeah, you're right. It's in the sermon. So you already told me. So today, it's going to be about victory. I want to talk about victory. How many of you would you say you're maybe competitive? Raise a show of hand. A little competitive. Oh, come on, 750 Wednesday crowd. Of course you're competitive. That's why you're here. Like, I'm going to fit one more church into this week. One more for me. You get one. I get two. And the prayer shield folks are going, two? Mm, you're just getting started. So I, I Google some memes on competitiveness. So Charles, could you show in, on the screen what competitive looks like? Yeah. Hi. That, that's me. There you go. So we start to get competitive really when we're young. These are twins. There can only be one. Next one, please. Competitiveness. You know when your favorite team loses and you feel like, man, did you just lose your mom or dad or the world? What's what's going on here? Competitive. Next one, please. Monopoly. Board games. I love them. But I remember crying every time we play. And I said, life is not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. Next slide, please. <laughs> We've seen that many times. And if you're the parent, you're like, I'm kind of proud, but no, I'm not. I'm glad you're winning, but character of Christ, more important. Yes, you had to hold yourself back. But some moms can't hold themselves back. They're like, come on, I got to fight for my child here. That's my baby on the ice. <laughs> Next slide. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the running machine sometimes, 
and no one's really competing, but I'm competing. I'm going like, you're running 10 and I'm running eight? I got to step up my game. Come on, let's go 12. I don't know. I, I do that. You hear me. <laughs> Next one, please. You, sometimes you're just like, hey, I'm happy for you. I'm so glad you're getting married to that wonderful guy. I'm so glad that your kid is doing so well and the school that he got into. Oh, I'm, I'm so happy for you. Lord, why am I Job? And then I love that face. <laughs> this is real. It's not even photoshopped. And by the way, if you're listening to this sermon driving, please focus on the driving part, not, not the screen that is in front of your car. We all can get competitive. And I think it's a gift. I think it's good. We, we all should want to have victory in our lives. That strength, that could be a strength. However, please hear me, faith redefines victory. And you have to allow faith in the Bible to define your victory. Otherwise, you're going to be led by an energy to win and you want to win even in ministry, even as you serve God, even, you lo- even when you love Jesus, you're doing it all for the kingdom of God. Yet, you'll find yourself not achieving kingdom, but your kingdom. So you want to let Christ define what victory is. Faith always redefines victory. Let me give you a few examples of bad definitions of victory actually lived out. There was a game 2009, January 26, between two basketball teams, high school basketball, female high school. And it was a school called Covenant School of Dallas. So obviously a Christian school sounds like Covenant School of Dallas. And it was a rich Christian school. And the other school was Dallas Academy, two basketball games. Now, Dallas Academy, was something that you got to know about, is, about that school is that it's a school for kids or students who have ADHD or dyslexia or other challenges in their lives. It was a school made up of only 20 kids. So it was their first year having a basketball team for the first time. But Covenant School is a strong, rich team, and they've been going for strong for such a long time. They went to the game, and they found themselves winning by 46, I believe, to zero by halftime. Now, as a Christian school, there are many things that you could do because victory is not only defined by points and scores, right? We all know it. However, they couldn't help themselves. You know what they did? They said, you know what? They huddled themselves amongst themselves and said this, let's make this 100 and nil, zero. We'll make history. We'll make history in the game of basketball. So these little girls and said, you know what? And I don't, I don't know. I, I think it's about the coaches too. It's about character, right? So they, they played amongst these poor girls from Dallas Academy, and they made it a 100-0 game. They didn't let them score. They would sometimes make fun of them or intentionally not score so that they could make it 100-0. to zero. Is that a perfect score or is that a perfect lose? I don't know. John Calvin, someone that a lot of us, or even me, I, I respect and love and learn so much from his life and his work. He said one of the greatest regret was his relationship with Sebertus, one of the guys who disagreed with him, and he believed that he was not the follower of Christ. He believed, he seemed to believe in Christ, but he seemed to be a heretic. So with the political power that John Calvin had, he crucified him and he burned him alive because he found him to be a heresy. He said later in his notes in his life, he said, that's the number one thing that I regret the most. All these things happening to Christ followers because victory wasn't defined biblically. We talk about ISIS. I know it's a heavy topic, 
They have a definition of victory, don't they? They have a definition of victory. And a lot of Christians will say, you know what? As Christians or Christ followers, we will never share in that definition of victory. Really? In history, we find ourselves, Christ followers, we did what we call crusades. First crusades in 1095 by Pope Urban. The Council of Clermont said, we're going to encourage use the for- using the force of military so that we could win people for Christ. And for the following two to three centuries, we killed, we took people's lives for the name of Christ. And in two more centuries, minor crusades happening all over. What am I saying? We need to define our victory carefully, biblically. Otherwise, we might be running, we might get competitive, and we say, we want to win, we want to do this for the kingdom of God, we want to raise up a next generation, I want to bless my son and daughter and teach things and guide things. However, we find ourselves fighting for me and my agenda because my victory wasn't defined biblically. Furthermore, you will always have doubt in your mind. Even the most successful people in the world have doubts. Did I actually live my life well? That's the simple question. Because they're confused about what victory is. So let's define it. And I want to talk about that. Victory, according to Bible. Victory is obedience. Nothing more or nothing less. I'll say that again. Victory for you and me as Christ followers is obedience. Nothing more or nothing less. Not going more than obedience or not going less or slower than obedience. That's it. Let's go to today's passage, and I want to start with verse 32. You know Hebrews 11, this is the famous chapter about faith, and that the last few portions, a few verses of the chapter between verse 32 to 40, it has two different sections that seems to almost give a contrast between what the definition of victory and faith is. Let me start with the first portion, 32, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, multiple kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised. So this is great. They're winning countries and kingdoms and they're gaining what was promised and they shut the mouth of the lions. Touch your neighbor and say, shut the mouth of lions. I know, I know, I know. I'm just having fun. I'm just having fun. I just... All right, moving on. Verse 34, someone got really uncomfortable because you were sitting next to your daddy and it wasn't cool. (laughs) Quench the fury of flames and escape the edge of a sword. This is like a matrix, like a kung fu movie stuff. Flames of and, and edges of swords whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and rooted or eradicated, eradicated foreign armies. And women, 35, women received back their dead, raising to life again. So resurrection was happening because of them. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. So that's portion one, where you're conquering kingdoms and you're getting resurrections. You're fighting lions and you're, 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 you're chasing after enemies and eradicating things. Hallelujah, that is victory. Yes, indeed. And then we move on to 36. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. 
They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put into death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins and destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Basically, they're saying they're so poor. They didn't have clothing to wear or a house to live in. Verse 39, these were all commanded for their faith. Yet none of them received, did not receive what had been promised. I'll say it again. Victory is obedience. Nothing more, nothing less. Victory is obedience. Nothing more, nothing less. It's not doing more, speaking more, or, or doing more good than what Father, your God has asked you to do. No, you're just obeying. You're not doing any less. Some of you are discouraged this evening because you feel like your life is just in trouble. Your house is in trouble. Your finance is in trouble. Your children is in trouble. Your finance is in trouble. You're saying, God, I thought I obeyed you. How can this be victory when I'm obeying you? The someone, someone that you love the most, they left you or God told you to leave them and your heart is broken and you have to ask God, God, how is this victory? This surely does not feel like victory. But the Lord is saying, I command you for your faith, son. I command you for your faith, daughter. Because obedience is victory. It's not how it feels. It's not the result of the obedience even. It's the obedience itself. That's faith. Faith always redefines victory. And faith says, I know you don't feel like it. I know it doesn't feel that way when you're struggling. I know it's hard. Your home life, that, that's hard. Your spouse, that's hard. And you're seeking it out. You're trying to love them. And you're trying to bless them. And you're trying to win, win evil with good in your church life. Everything you do, your ministry, it's hard. It doesn't feel like victory sometimes. But the Lord is saying, son, daughter, you walk with me, you obey me, you did whatever you could, you tried your best to obey me, then let me tell you right now tonight that you're walking victorious right now. You don't need to wait for anything else. You're walking there right now. You just need to receive it with faith. Let God encourage you. It's not about what you see. It's not about the changes that you're expecting. Yes, those may come, as your father wills, but it's not about that. That's not what victory is, because it makes it clear in the passage, some did not receive your promises. Oh, even the good promises that the Lord made, you might not receive it, but it doesn't matter if you walk in obedience. It's not even contending so much for it so that you get, you pull heaven down, as you and I heard on Sunday, Pastor Brad preached. It's not about pulling heaven down. It's not about almost chasing after with my own force, but saying, God, Daddy, your will be done, not my will. Obedience, as the Lord taught us to pray, is victory itself. No more, no less. We don't need to do more. We don't need to do any less. Just obedience is perfect. Let me read a few things from my notes, okay? So when you walk in obedience, when we walk in obedience, what do we see? What do we experience? Peace, joy. The enemy might try to discourage you, but when you, when the, when you allow the enemy to take your joy, then know that we just lost our battle because our battle is not about the circumstances. It's about the joy and the peace in your heart, in my heart. And you're always right on time. 
You're not hasty. You're not in hurry. When you walk in obedience, you're right on time because God is always kairos, right on time. And when we obey God, don't we find ourselves speaking, preaching, teaching, nagging a little less and living right more? When we obey God, don't we find ourselves overcoming fear? When we obey God, don't we find ourselves walking slower because love is patient, because authenticity and intimacy, they take time and gentleness. When we are obeying God, you take less of financial gain than what you can possibly do because generosity is that I make less or I take less and I get more joy because holiness is generosity. When we obey God, sometimes we repeat more. We stop saying, haven't I told you already? Because love is kind and patient because some just don't get it as fast as you and I do. Because your giftedness is a calling, not a demand that you make. And sometimes you express less than more because self-control is in your genuine heart and the expression of it. Sometimes when you obey God, you're not as productive as you can be and you schedule less because you're obeying God and God is saying, let's be silent, let's rest, let's you and me get away, have a date night or date morning, date afternoon. So we do less and don't lean on our productivity but obedience. We use less strength sometimes because enough strength for the purpose is enough. Enough strength for the purpose is enough. It's not the show off of the strength. It's about the apropos strength that the Lord calls us to use. We take less credit for things because your reward or my reward in heaven is greater. When we obey God, we always put submission before result because obedience is better than sacrifice. When we obey God, we pursue oneness before perfection because genuine relationships are always messier and people, you, I, we fall and we, pre- we prepare margins because we love people. When we obey God, we find our- ourselves not praying for my church but for other churches more and more. The exact thing that I want to actually pray for my church, the Lord is saying, can you pray that for other churches? I don't want to, but as I pray, I notice this. Oh, you said, seek ye the kingdom of God, first the kingdom of God. And then what does the Lord say? Exactly. And then it will be given to you. It will be added to you. Seek kingdom. When we do all that, even after all the ministry and work is done, we are stable, we're humble, we're in a good place. Because it's not about the stage, it's not about the Wednesday evening, it's not about the Sunday, it's not about when people are looking because we're walking in obedience, believing that obedience is victory. It's not about the results, it's not about how many hands went up, though they are great. It's not about how many dedications and numbers we got. It's about am I walking in obedience to God? Not more, not less, just obedience. Let me take this a little, let me take this just one more, one step deeper. Sometimes obedience, this is what it looks like. True victory can appear to be a failure. I'll say that again. True victory can appear to be a failure. 
We find that in the passage. There was a Korean uh, missionary who went to Mongolia to, um, to, to, to lead and, and, and serve the congregation there. And he went, and there, there wasn't a lot of believers there, but he said, you know, I want to ch- plant a church and I want to serve the kingdom. So a Korean missionary went to Mongolia, and he was, he was seeking the Lord 40 days in the wilderness. Lord, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And he said, farm. Huh? Farm. Okay. What? Radish. Lord, I don't think I came all the way here from Korea to farm radish. And the Lord said, yes, you did. And he did. And he thought this might lead to something. Plant radishes, give it away. And you know, radish is great. It gives you nutrition. Do you know who else is nutritious? Jesus Christ. I don't know if that even works. So he farmed a few years. And the Lord said, what do I do with this? He said, I want you to make kimchi. It's like a pickle radish, Korean dish. And, and this is what the Lord said. Um, Mongolian people, a lot of young people are dying, even older people are dying because they lack vitamins and nutrition. So I want you to feed them. He did a couple of years, five years passed, and he said, Lord, I didn't come here to farm or feed people. I came to serve your word. I came to spread the good news. And the Lord says, that's what you think. He actually ended his 20 years of mission work in Mongolia and all he did most of his life there was planting radish and making kimchi for people and giving it away. Yes, he shared about Christ, but he never got to planting a church. The Lord did not allow him. Do you call that mission work failure or success? If you obey the Lord, and this is what the Lord said at the end of his ministry, this is what the Lord said, he said, Son, I needed you to work on the ground because the ground, the soil itself is so hard and dry. I needed someone to die for 20 years, to just give love and expect nothing in return. And you did that for me, and I received your work. After he left, next generation of missionaries came, and churches planted five, six, seven, just blowing up all over the place. Because of the obedience, silent obedience that was sown on the ground. And you know about the story, the movie End of the Spear, right? In Ecuador, Nate Saint, the missionary, he came. Within seven days, January 3rd, he landed. January 8th, I'm sorry, not seven days, he died. But his next generation, his son, came and became friends with the leaders, and the whole tribe started to change. So do you call Nate Saint's life success or failure? We should call it a victory. John Allen Chow, 2018, November. There's an island called North Sentinel Island. There's a group of people that has been isolated from people from the rest of the world for the last 25 years. And the only word that he got to say to those people after preparing for month and month and month and years and years, he said this, my name is John, I love you and Jesus loves you. And they speared him to death. In his diary, this is, the, this is what, he was written, what he was written in his diary. The eternal lives of this tribe is at hand. He's writing to his mom and dad. I can't wait to see them around the throne of God worshiping in their own language as Revelation 7, 9 to 10 states. Please do not be angry with them or at God, if, even if I get killed. Rather, please live your lives in obedience, in obedience to whatever he has called you to. And I'll see you again when you pass through the veil. 
Victory is obedience. Nothing more, nothing less. For people like this, verse 38 says this, the world was not worthy of them. The Lord had to take them because the world was not worthy of such heart. People who are obeying to, willing to, people who are willing to obey till, till, till the your death and your blood and everything that to give everything you know God I just want to obey you I can give everything and anything I just want to obey you and the Lord said you're too precious in my eyes and the world the sinful world they don't deserve you verse 39 and these were all commanded for their faith yet none of them received what they had been promised verse 40 God had planned listen something better for us. He's talking about the next generation who's reading this book. So that only together with us would they would be perfect. What is he saying? This is what, what he's saying in the past. In faith, we see that, okay, we're obeying. It means in my day and age, in my generation, we might not see the promise being fulfilled, but that's okay because I'm going to work with the next generation. The promise is going to be perfected in faith, though I might not get it. I'm just going to prepare the way for the next generation, and that's okay because in my faith, I know my daddy knows best. So I don't need to see the result. I just need to obey. So I will obey, obey every day, obey, walk up and say, God, I want to obey. Wake up in the morning and say, I want to obey. You say, obey, God, I want to obey because that is my victory. You live that and we might not see, you might not see, but that's okay because you have the next generation to work with you and the next generation has the next generation to work with you and the next generation has the next generation to work with you so that God gets all the glory. Not your generation, not my generation, not you or me. That is faith, that is victory. It's not about the fame. It's not about the name. It's not about what it looks like. It's not about the hands going on. It's not about the numbers. It's about obedience. So I ask you a simple question. Where are you when it comes to obedience? Because that defines your victory. That defines my victory. It's not about how much work you got done today. I'm sorry. If you left Jesus, say, God, I'm a little busy today, so I'm going to get on my computer and meet people and get things done and earn some money. If I earn the money, let me go find you and build kingdom. The Lord is saying, nope, I don't need that. You think I need your money? I want your heart. I don't need anything. I made everything, says the Lord. He's just saying, I don't need you to be productive, more productive than my love. When you abide in me and when he abides, John 15, you know this, right? When we abide in him and he abides in you, what does the Bible says? That we will bear much fruit. And some of us live the entire day without bearing any fruit. Yeah, you got some work done, but you can't eat those fruit. God cannot receive those fruits because you weren't abiding in Christ. So again, question is this. Where are you with obedience? Let me give you one application and we'll pray. We repent if there needs to be repentance. Listen longer and more often. It's a simple application. Listen longer and more often. Simple application. Sometimes we pray. <laughs> so we, we have things to pray about, right? And that a lot of us, we're here because we want to pray and hear the word of God. It's so great. I'm so glad you're here. But I had a lot of prayer sessions where I go to my prayer closet or pray, walk around, pray or whatnot, and I pray. And I walk up more heavy-hearted. And I'm going, something's wrong. Because the Lord says that, that my heart should be at peace, but it's not at peace. What's going on? 
And the Lord showed this to me clearly. He said, so you bring your baggage and you lay it at my feet. And you, God, help me with that, with that, with that. And I pray out, 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 out. And I pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray, pray. And I look at Jesus for a while and said, you see that, right? He's like, yeah. You see that, right? Yeah. <laughs> if, if you're just going to stand there, I got, something's going to do. Someone's going to do something about that. And I take it with me and I just carry I'm not listening to God. I'm not waiting on God. So a lot of repair sessions or even worship sessions, we walk away more heavy-hearted. When you and I experience and taste the Lord who is good, we always walk away with that goodness. Man, heaven is here because we just tasted it. We just saw the Lord. But why are we not there often? Because we're just asking and saying stuff. There are some young people in the room. Dating tip. Listen more, speak less. <laughs> All the wiser woman in the room is going like, uh-huh. Actually, my husband needs to hear that. Praise the Lord. Let me move on really quick. We need to fight the urge to do more, but just listen more. And move when we hear. And move when we hear. I want to exercise it right now in, in, in closing because it's not about learning, it's about practicing. So would you all close your eyes? This is what I would love to do. Just relax right now. Everyone, just relax. Just relax. And let's just listen. He might show you something, maybe in, in the screen of your imagination or bring up some memories. Or he might say something. doesn't matter. But we're just listening to God right now. We're going to pray only what he asks us to pray right now. Just listen. Let's just listen. Thank you, Lord. Come on, family. Let's make this next two minutes an amazing moment of obedience together in oneness listen 30 more seconds and we're going to pray together and all we want to do is obey God the spirit of God listen a little more thank you Lord now why don't we pray and we're just going to pray what we heard because that's exactly what he wants us to pray for let's just pray let's just pray whatever he told you to pray for let's pray for that so we don't pray for our needs but we pray out of obedience so let's take step let's take the step of obedience right now as we pray come on church let's pray Lord we thank you for this moment you Lord Jesus Abiding in you is better than anything. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere, Lord Jesus. I'm sorry for all those moments that I tried to go faster than you, to more than what you want to do. And I just wanted, was acting on my desire and what I want and my direction and in my hurt and my pain. But right now I take this moment to say, God, I just want to obey you. 
I just want to abide in you, and it doesn't have to look like the way. I, I'm so sorry for all those wounds that I wanted to look like the way that I want, Lord Jesus. God, would you just come and lead us? God, lead us. Holy Spirit, lead us. Let your gentle, sweet voice be heard all over the place in this room as we listen to you, as we pray to you, Lord. Let us converse with you. Let us talk to you. Let us hear from you. And then give supplications because that's a good place to be. Help us to redefine our victory. Commit to you all over to say, I just want to obey you, Lord. Obeying you is enough. For obedience is better than sacrifice. Thank you.